Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Mayalis, and in this podcast, we ponder new the ancient stories of Scripture and their meaning for this time in this place. And as we're looking at the book of Acts in this season, we're reflecting on community. And today I want to reflect with you on what happens in a community when people sin, right? When people make mistakes, when people grumble and complain and they mess up and they become infactions. How do we deal with this challenge within community and what opportunities does it present? So without further ado, we'll discover together the joy of community. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now remember, they were supposed to give everything over to the community. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were, you not, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. And now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young, man, the young men came up and wrapped up his body. They then carried him out and buried him. It continues with a similar series of events for his wife, Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. There is a problem that has arisen in the early Christian community. And for the first time, the problem is not from somebody on the outside. This isn't an issue of the community or the leaders not understanding them or somehow the gospel being offensive to the world or misunderstood. This is the case where Somebody in the church has broken the covenant, has, has not lived up to the communally set expectations, has not followed through on their commitment to Christ. I think we've all been a part of communities, communities of faith, communities at work, in our family, where people make mistakes, right? We're, we're humans, and to be a human in, in relationship and in community means from time to time, people don't do the right things. And so what do we do in these cases? We're going to look at two different uh, stories uh, from Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6 and see how the church responds to these uh, internal crises, these, these misbehavings of people. And in this case, the church in the form of Peter demands total accountability. They, they call Ananias and then his wife, Sapphira, out. They, they call him out. They say, this is what you have done. Why have you done this? And then they even lay on sort of the guilt trip of all guilt trips, what you did in terms of lying to uh, me and to the community was the same as lying to God. I mean, they lay it on thick, in fact, so thick that Ananias crumbles under the guilt between his conscience and God and falls dead. Now, I don't particularly like this story. I, um, I, I find it uh, too dark and too haunting. I, I think when Jesus held people accountable, this wasn't the reaction to them. 
But I, I want to put that aside for just a second, and I want to think about how we deal with accountability of individuals in our churches and in, in our communities, in our families, in, in the places where we work. And uh, it's important to hold people accountable. How, how many of us have had somebody in our family, uh, somebody in our, our place of work, somebody in our church who has just really wreaked havoc by their actions and, and hasn't been called out to it? And, and the way in which that just then produces another layer of resentment and the underlying issue never seems to get resolved and the behavior repeats itself. And maybe how many of you, if you're honest, have been the person that should have been held accountable and for some reason wasn't? Well, in this story here, uh, Ananias is held accountable, but... Yeah, we know that's not often the case. And why is it that so many places of business, families, and specifically churches have trouble holding people accountable? I'd like to suggest that within the church there's a particular issue of grace and that we, we want to, or we have distilled Jesus' teachings into some variant of Jesus wants us to be nice and um, we may even have a more sophisticated than that. And so therefore we think that within the community, our job is simply to be kind to one another and to call out people would, would somehow be to uh, break the sort of the second golden rule, judge ye not, lest ye be judged. Now we, we don't want to be a judgy community. We don't want to be judgmental people. And so we don't want to call people out. I think this really is a misunderstanding of God's grace because, uh, yes, God's grace sometimes simply isn't giving people a little more leeway. But, but grace in the Bible really is more about acknowledgement of sin and then a pronouncement of forgiveness, love, and mercy over and against that trespass. Uh, the Bible isn't about ignoring what bad has happened, but, but somehow reconciling, somehow making a new way forward that acknowledges um, the brokenness, but doesn't allow that to dictate the future terms of the relationship. Again, forgiveness in the Bible is, is not about saying there was no sin. It's about saying that God's love is greater still and can make a new way for us or for me or for this world or for our community. But again, I think it's very difficult. And I think another challenge we have is that we've become really aware in our modern world of uh, various historical disparities between uh, people based on demographics. So gender, race, uh, age, nationality, um, English language ability, um, various other sort of abilities or, or ways in which people are differently abled, all of these sorts of things. And, and oftentimes if we're in a business place or a church, we find that, uh, or in other communities, that it's just so hard when we interact with people who have, again, significant different demographics. And and it becomes so hard in, in cases where there's been historical, maybe decades, centuries, millennia of disparity and even abuse to somehow hold people accountable across this. 
When I was in seminary, I had to do a semester as an intern chaplain in a nursing home. And part of the work was meeting with other intern chaplains in this group processing activity. And there was one uh, person in our group who um, was just definitely the other compared to the rest of us. Uh, different theological tradition, uh, was not American. I don't think she would have identified um, the same way racially as the rest of us. Just, again, all sorts of ways in which this person was, was sort of other. And this person would say the flat-out most ridiculous things in this group that if anybody else had said, we would have just eaten the person alive. But we, there was this sort of this tacit understanding that we, we couldn't challenge or critique what she was saying. It's really uncomfortable for, for all of us, but again, all of us understood sort of some of the power dynamics. And so we were just sort of... Sort of um, held hostage by them in some ways. Again, there's all sorts of ways in which in the modern workplace and with, sometimes within churches and other places where, again, there's all these sort of disparities and demographic differences and, and, and cultural differences and how do we communicate accountability and hold people accountable across them. That can also be difficult. And I'd be curious if you've ever experienced that in, in a professional or um, volunteer situation where... <laughs> Just the group just wasn't able because somebody was different to sort of communicate accountability in an effective way, or maybe where that blew up in everybody's face when when it tried. It's very painful for this. So I think there that that can also be uh, within the church uh, or in communities. Another reason why accountability is so hard. But I think for churches, probably the biggest reason why accountability is so hard is in some ways precisely the story of Ananias and Peter, where Ananias is so overwhelmed by the, the, the voice of Peter and the weight of what he's done that he literally crumbles under it, and, and he, he is dead. And I think we sadly know many people who, because of the church's imposition uh, declaration of sin and holding people accountable for this, making them feel sort of the the wrath that um, they they crumble. Uh, and in some cases, this is literal, like the Inquisition or maybe Calvin's Geneva, uh, where again people actually are you know kicked out or killed. Or locally, we have Amish and Mennonite, and when uh, people choose to leave those communities for good, they're banned. The, the families just cut them off forever as if they're, they're dead to them. And so we've seen how in many religious communities, and perhaps even you've been a part of a religious community in which you've experienced this um, sort of wrathful judgment for who you are, and it's been so painful. Or maybe you know people that have even just flat out left the church for this, and they're not coming back, and it might not even be because of Jesus, but literally just the way in which the church thought in some way in which they were trying to hold somebody accountable for life in Christ, and it just went awry. So I think there is a reason why the church um, struggles uh, with with this, of, of holding people accountable, because so often it's gone the other way where the church has been so extreme in their demands to hold people accountable that it just, people collapse under the weight of it. So I think it's a real challenge here, and I would offer, I don't think that Peter gets this right. I think Peter should have allowed Ananias a chance for, for repentance. Um, now, it's not 
Jesus, so I'm allowed to critique Peter. <laughs> We're allowed to critique Peter and Paul and all the characters we meet in the book of Acts. We just can't critique Jesus. Um, but so again, this is one of those stories where I, I wish that it had played itself out uh, differently. But I want to humbly acknowledge that the challenge of holding people accountable uh, professionally, personally, within friendships, within community is... is um, a lifelong challenge, and, and many of the letters of the New Testament, even by Paul, um, are really about Paul's struggle to hold other people accountable. So the, the Bible is a workshop in, in this, but it, it doesn't always, um, the characters don't always uh, get it right. It turns out that only God alone knows really how to, to judge people uh, when and how to ultimately lead people to repentance. So that's the first uh, story here in, in chapter uh, 5, where I sense there's a, a real struggle, and hopefully they'll invite us as we reflect on this, of how do we do community accountability, and how does that not just go full-blown in a way that is ultimately destructive to people's life and to people's faith, knowing we know that if people aren't ever held accountable, that can also be destructive. Sometimes the issue is not, however, that a person needs to be held individually accountable. That can happen plenty of times. But in the sixth chapter of Acts, we're going to encounter a different kind of situation, and that is one in which the problem is not that somebody has done wrong and needs to sort of be uh, have their feet under the fire, but rather that there's... There's tension in the system being created by a structural problem. The organization is not efficiently set up in order for them to do what they're called to do, especially in light of changing circumstances. So I'll read to you from chapter 6, and then we'll, again, consider what we do in institutions, in communities, and organizations, when... There's a change, and that change has meant that the current leadership structure, the way in which we've organized the, the system, is actually producing conflict. And so the problem isn't actors that need to be chastised, but rather leaders need to rearrange the uh, sort of the, the chairs on deck, if not even build a new deck. Okay? So here we go. Now, during those days... When the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. When... What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so the issue here is that there's these factions in the community, and these factions are breaking down actually along ethnic, likely even class lines as well. 
um, with, with some of the people there sort of likely more uh, Jewish peasants and other sort of more uh, Jewish urbanists or even converts uh, to Judaism uh, from sort of the, the Greco-Roman pagan area. In fact, the last line there of one of the, uh, the disciples whom they appoint, it says a proselyte. And that's a specific term in the New Testament, and it refers to people that had been very, um, likely had been very invested in the Jewish community, were not able to convert um, or, again, because sort of Judaism was also sort of an ethnic thing, but were really interested in ethical monotheism, and, and Christianity very much attracts those who were previously interested in Judaism, and they're very much drawn to Christianity. So you have, again, these two factions that are likely on um, language, if not even class. And so the leaders in, in the community, their time is being sucked up uh, by trying to get food to everybody, uh, and trying to sort of sort out these conflicts. And this time, they do not simply call all of the people in the community and give them some long speech about how they're terrible people, um, even though, again, they could have done that. They're not, they're not sharing food in the community. But, but rather, there was, it's a structural issue. Right? There's something wrong about how we have organized the ministry here. Now, I'm going to talk specifically about the church, but then I think this is really easily can apply to non-church communities. The, the challenge for the church here is that the leaders are spending too much time in administration that they can no longer fulfill their tasks of preaching and teaching. I can tell you this is really easy to have happened to a pastor. It's happened to me many times, and I know it happens to a lot of other pastors. And what happened here is that the church grew, right? There was a change in circumstance, in this case a positive change, but that still brought about a new situation, and the, the leadership of the church had to say, you know what, our system has grown. We need to become a more complex organization in order to free up the leaders for really the leadership tasks, not the sort of the day-to-day -day administration. Uh, and so you maybe you've ever been a part of a community in which you felt like the preachers and teachers, the one who should be sort of attending most to the, the vision and mission of the, of the faith community, weren't able to do so. But I think this is something that within the secular uh, sphere we see a lot as well. And that is, I know you at some point, maybe it's been you, or maybe you've had a boss, and you have not, or that leader has not, as the institution has grown, let go of certain responsibilities. They're hanging on to responsibilities that are frankly sort of, quote, below their pay grade, and they're getting sucked into them. And we see what that, that does to an institution and just kind of creates all sort of tension and uh, inefficiencies and, and likely conflict and, and also bad just performance overall. The, the client basis needs aren't met. What needs to happen is that... Uh, leaders need to be recognizing that there are certain tasks that they should do and certain tasks they can sort of farm out, and then they need to bring up other people within the system that can do those tasks. So, so good leaders recognizing there's a structural issue and that they're likely one of the problems, that they're sort of getting sucked into stuff they shouldn't, and that then they need to equip others and then get out of those others' way to let them do those tasks.
Again, how have you been a part of institutions where you've seen, communities where you've seen this healthily happen where or unhealthily happen where leaders see attention in the system, they're getting bogged down, um, there's been a change which the structure that existed no longer is efficient, and they sort of have to reallocate tasks and promote, uh, cultivate uh, new people to come on board to do those other tasks. All right, if you've seen it, you can see how this is just really can be so good for an institution um, and can really help them. But uh, sometimes, again, it, it doesn't happen and things just get bogged down and then people begin to blame each other when they really, again, need to be thinking about the institution. And then if there's anybody to blame, it's the leadership for not making these crucial adjustments. What's also uh, really worth noting is that this tension, this sort of failure to deliver what was previously going well, sends up a, a flag that there's an opportunity here. Right? And, and every sort of challenges and, and every sort of setback can, can be an opportunity. And the opportunity now is for them to, again, develop more leaders. And what they do in Acts chapter 1, when they have to fill leadership position, they just kind of randomly pick somebody who's been there. Where now they say, no, no, we need, and in this case, men. Later, there'll be other women involved as well in leadership. But in this case, we want men of, of, of character, people who are full of the spirit of wisdom. They, they want good people. They don't actually look for the characteristic of people who can uh, effectively wait on tables. They're looking for a character because character is a whole lot harder to train than functional tasks, right? Hire people uh, <laughs> uh, and then teach them the tasks. Um, don't try to hire people for the task and then try to train them with character. That, that just isn't going to happen. And what's really awesome is that in chapter one, when they sort of randomly picked somebody, you never hear that person again. But now, when they pick on character, of the seven people, two will really sort of be impactful in the early church. The one, Stephen, will be the first martyr of the church, celebrated on December 26th. And then there'll be Philip, who will actually go and will help prosecute so ties and ultimately convert the Ethiopian eunuch, and that person will then um, go and sort of start a church in Ethiopia. It's the church in Ethiopia this day traces their origins back to. So in some way, sort of the grandfather of African Christianity is part of this original group of people that are assigned to wait on tables. And I've seen this in, in churches, um, and I'm sure you've seen this in other places, where somebody was picked for a responsibility who was a good egg. And when they were given some room to play, they just grew up so quickly and ended up doing far more than they were asked. Right? So if you get good people and you equip and empower good people, then awesome things happen. And just to sort of, again, going back to um, accountability, then to maybe tie it back, it is often very hard for leaders in a system, in a community, to be held accountable for letting go. Right? It's very hard for leaders to be held accountable for letting go because they were likely praised for taking on responsibility. And they will have a very hard time, myself, so many people included, in 
um, in, in letting go. And so one of the ways in which the disciples sort of um, at least embody this letting go is that they put their hands on the people in the end. They publicly signify to the community that they are entrusting the people with this task. Ritual and symbols and public signs matter within a community, especially when it comes to transferring and conferring of power and authority. Uh, this is a huge deal that the disciples sort of confirm. We will go down now because of the Greek word for servant and, and, and as deacons, right? The first deacons in the church here are commissioned by the original apostles. Uh, and again, that public act of transference. It can't, it can't force, ultimately, the, the disciples into accountability vis-a-vis -vis the deacons. Um, but I think it's important for there to be symbolic displays of recognizing new leaders um, so that maybe, just maybe, even the community can help uh, the ones who now are giving up responsibility for the new leadership to say, aren't you not supposed to do that task anymore? Didn't you hand that over? Okay, so there are inevitably conflicts in a Christian or any kind of community. And what can happen is uh, they need to be addressed, and sometimes they'll be addressed by an individual holding an individual accountable. Other times they'll be addressed by changing the structure. Both of these can be tremendous opportunities for growth of people and of, of leaders and of the whole community. Um, and again, the whole Bible is sort of a workshop in, in how the community deals with not just uh, conflict on the outside, but, but the reality of sin within. So again, I think I'll do at least maybe one more episode, and then we'll take a break for sort of the sort of the holidays um, of of November and December. But uh, I'll then conclude us with a prayer here uh, today. Gracious God, we humbly lament that in the communities in which we live, in which we serve, in which we work, in which we play. People stumble, ourselves included. Give us wisdom about how to hold each other accountable and insight into when we need to make fundamental changes and how our communities function, how our organizations are laid out. That we might be able to be healthy communities, ones that ultimately take the posture of deacons, of servants in your name. Amen.